and just ask my most hard-pressing questions all about gut health. She is a gut health expert, and I asked her things like, what are the best sweeteners to use? What's the deal with dairy? Should we be cutting it out? Um, what's the deal with food additives? What are her best tips for having better gut health? Can we really improve our mental health by changing our diet and so much more? So with no further ado, let's hop right into this episode. Hi, Dr. Megan Rossi, how you doing? Good, good. It's a Thursday evening here in the, um, in the UK, so nearly, nearly weekend time. Okay, well, I'm so happy to have you on, and so nice that we've been able to record this. We did an amazing IGTV together. You answered so many of my questions, but we weren't able to save it and share it again. So thank you so much for taking the time to help answer all my questions to make sure more people can hear this and access it whenever they wish. No worries at all. I mean, gut health is is so incredibly important for everyone. So we just need to get the message out there, don't we? Okay. So you are like the gut health expert. Can you give everyone a brief overview? I'm sure you've had to do this a million times, but a brief overview of what is the gut? What makes it healthy? What makes it unhealthy? Um, and why that's important? Yeah, so I think most people have heard of the term gut health now. It's in the media all the time. But what it is exactly is not often communicated very accurately. So that's a great question. So gut health actually relates to the functioning of our entire digestive tract. So essentially this nine meter long tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit. And why that nine meters is so important for every single one of us comes down to really three main reasons. The first one is, you know, the good old saying that we got taught at uni, you are what you eat. It's kind totally. of not that accurate. It's more you are what you digest because no matter how healthy the food you put into your body is, if you don't have good gut lining, you can't get that food from your gut into your blood to feed things like your skin and your hair and your liver and all your other organs. So to really maximize uh, your food, you need to have good gut health for good digestion. Second one is really important at the moment, uh, obviously with COVID-19 about everyone's thinking about their immune system. Totally. Now, the thing is, 70% of our immune system actually lives along that nine meter digestive tract. And there's a wealth of research out there now showing that people who have good gut health have a stronger and more supportive immune system. I mean, they live in the same place, they're constantly communicating. So it really is a no brainer that they go hand in hand. But it's really, I guess, this third element that has brought the fame to the concept of gut health. And that is the fact that every single one of us contains true billions of gut bacteria so along our nine meter digestive tract there is literally more of these bacterial cells in us than there is human cells so they actually outnumber us and they do so much for us produce hormones and vitamins talk to all our different organs including our brain um, and really is it's the landmark scientific discovery that's starting to change not only how we manage conditions but prevent a lot of conditions and obviously nutrition you know comes hand in hand there totally i have so many questions like i'm going to explode so first thing i'm so glad i have more of your time here because i have so many questions i didn't even ask you the first time we spoke so the first things first is um yes you said like how our gut connects with our brain i think people you know, I get made fun of on TikTok constantly. I'm telling people to make healthy choices. And then I have 
hundreds of people who duet me that my nephew sends me because I don't even find them. I don't get notification, but people duet me and they're like, eat whatever you want, die happy. And meanwhile, these people look like grumpy and miserable when they're like doing, they're like, eat whatever you want, die happy. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Yes, we all die, but you can either die living well, or you can die living with chronic diseases, um, you know, on dialysis. So um, I'm so curious, but first of all, like to just address serotonin and mental health and the benefits, the benefits of eating well and how that like goes, you know, is related to the gut, what eating well is and how that can benefit mental health. I think that's such an important topic now. And it's one of the three things you didn't mention, but I feel like it's, it's up there with number four, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's probably one of the key ways where, you know, for a long time, we've known that our gut and brain are connected. I mean, if you think of all the metaphors out there about emotions, we're like, you know, has a gut feeling or someone gives me the poops or I can't stomach someone's behavior. So we've known the gut and brain are constantly, uh, well, are communicating, but it's more recently because of these gut bacteria that we've appreciated, they're probably, you know, a key player in this gut brain axis. So an amazing study came out a couple of years ago. It's my favorite study. And I think it was the first time where it really has given me as a clinician, so as a dietitian, the confidence to say to people that absolutely nourishing your gut microbes with the right nutrition, and I'm sure we'll talk about what that is, actually can have clinically important benefits on our mental health. So um, for those who are fellow geeks like me, I talk more about the, the study in my book, um, Love Your Gut, but it's called the SMILES trial. And what they did is took people who had moderate to severe depression and they put half of them on this gut boosting diet and the other half on this control, control group. It was like a befriending type of counseling. And after 12 weeks on either group, they found those in the diet group 32% of them had a significant improvement in their depression scores, which would have classified them as no longer clinically depressed. That's and you know, wild. That was just 12 weeks. I know, absolutely wild. Now, it is important to disclose that everyone stayed on their medication during that study. So if anyone's listening to this on medications, certainly don't just go cold turkey and stop and think diet's the only way. But as an additional therapy, and certainly in my own practice, I've worked with psychiatrists um, before and the patients, and we've been able to lower um, antidepressant medications in, in some people with depression if they've been able to boost their gut health. So, Incredible. you know, it comes back to this gut boosting diet, looking after these little microbes in us can impact, you know, this hugely important organ up here, which is the brain, right? And give us, um, you know, you said gut boosting diet. Like, can you give us the, the quick overview on how you would define a gut boosting diet? I just had yeah, to so, by the way. I'm like a huge fan of dairy. And like, there's so many like anti-dairy people. I'm like, dairy, <clears throat> excuse me, dairy is one of those things like in Iceland and Greece, like some of the cultures of our world, I feel like eat plenty of dairy who live long um, you get the probiotic benefits as long as you're not having sugary yogurt and so forth. I'd love for you to address dairy and then also um, other gut boosting foods. Yeah. So overall, one of the key concepts of what constitutes like a gut boosting diet is one that is loaded with heaps of different types of plant-based foods. So it's Variety. all six plant-based food groups. You've got your whole grains, your nuts, your seeds, 
your fruit, your veg, and your legumes, your beans and your pulses. So trying to get as many different types of them as possible. Now, the reason for that is all our plant-based foods, the backbone of them is this nutrient called fiber, which obviously we both learn about loads about at university, but we didn't really understand, I guess, why people who had loads of fiber in their diet seemed to have better gut health until recently. And that all comes down to this discovery is that human cells can't digest fiber. So when we eat these fiber foods, it goes through most of that nine meter digestive tract undigested. And it's just in the last one and a half meters of that nine meters where most of our bacteria live, that that's where the magic of fiber happens. And that's where the bacteria eat the fiber. So fiber isn't food for human cells, it's food for the gut bacteria. So that's why fiber is so, so important for nourishing our gut bacteria. So, you know, we talk about fiber like it's one thing, but there are so many different types. So trying to get plants from all those six plant-based food groups is really key to nourish all of those microbes. Now, you raised a really good point about dairy. And if we look at all the evidence, fermented dairy in particular, uh, so things like our live yogurts, our kefirs, um, are thought to be really quite beneficial because what they do is not only contain some of those live um, bacteria in them and, and some other microorganisms, but also during the process of making things like yogurt, the bacteria actually help transform some of the, the dairy's proteins into different types of active chemicals, which we think are quite beneficial. Uh, so I also am a huge fan of fermented dairy and things like, actually there's a study coming out around Parmesan cheese, like a good quality Parmesan cheese um, had shown to have um, increased people's good gut bacteria uh, if they were including that in their diet. I think like, <clears throat> I think like all, of course, some people are lactose intolerant and they can't tolerate it. But gosh, there's so many benefits. I see so many people thrive off of, you know, some good fermented, low sugar dairy, high protein dairy uh, within their diet. So I'm so happy to hear that from you. Um, also, like, you know, I learned in university that even, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I have a frog in my throat. Uh, even people who are lactose intolerant can sometimes tolerate something like an unsweetened kefir yogurt that's really rich in probiotics because I learned that the probiotics, the good bacteria can pretty much like digest the lactose as it goes through. Have you ever seen that or learned that? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. That's um, something that we certainly do see is that fermented dairy, um, typically things like your kefir actually contains around 30% less lactose. Now, lactose is a milk sugar. And like you've highlighted in some, um, some populations like um, people of Asian and African descent, there's actually really quite a high prevalence of lactose intolerance. Now, to diagnose lactose intolerance, it's super easy. I do talk more about how you can safely do that at home um, in my book, uh, Love Your Gut, which I know we don't have time to go through, but um, it kind of goes through the flow diagram. It's a really simple thing to be able to diagnose at home. The flow diagrams in your book are amazing. Such a brilliant concept to put flow diagrams in your book. Like at the top, it asks a question and like things on gas, diarrhea, bloating, and you guide everyone to what to do about it. It's such a cool yeah. way 
But yeah, with the lactose intolerance, even if you are lactose intolerant, actually you can still tolerate around 50 grams of uh, yogurt or kefir per portion um, and have like three of them across the day. And actually our gut bacteria learns to be able to help break down some of that milk sugar that your body can't digest very well. So actually I do recommend people have it rather than completely cut it out for sure. That is fascinating. And I also feel like so many times I speak to someone, they're like, I can't tolerate dairy. It's like you're eating slices and slices of oily, greasy pizza. It's like the combination of like the fat and this and that um, makes people have diarrhea, bloat, all those things. I feel like everyone's so quick to um, judge, like throw dairy into this class. To blame it. I know. Yeah. Ice cream and pizza and all these things. But you had some like unsweetened, like Greek yogurt or beer and like some fresh raspberries and some, you know, flax seeds on it. I'm sure your gut would probably be um, smiling a little bit depending on the person. Okay. I have so many questions. I have to keep going. Um, Okay. The next thing is again, like I'm getting so, I get so much hate on social media of people going like, eat whatever you want, do whatever you want. And it's like, oh gosh, like, I wish that was so easy. You know, there are consequences for every choice we make, especially when it revolves around what we eat. So can you um, shed some light on how much of gut health is genetic and how much is actually within our control to help change? Yeah, and, and this is what I find so empowering about gut health is that a lot of gut health comes down to essentially how we treat this inner community of microbes. So if you want to think about your microbes, so when I say microbes, I mean the bacteria, but also there's other microorganisms like parasites and viruses, which a lot of people freak out about, but actually they all work together like a little community to look after us. So if we nourish this little inner community, you can call it a little pet, a Tamagotchi, whatever, but actually in turn, it will look after us. So there is a small genetic component in terms of we can inherit Uh, first microbes we typically inherit from our mum but actually the majority of our gut health and the microbes in there it really comes down to how we nourish our body including not just diet but also our lifestyle our stress our sleep and all those sorts of factors so you know what I find really interesting is you know when people are pregnant they go oh my god I need to do like this overhaul of my diet I need to really look after my body because I'm growing a human and I think you know what We need to start thinking about that all the time with our microbes because we're growing this little community and if we treat them terribly and we are stressed, we don't feed them right, then they will be super hangry and aggressive and that's why we see them linked with over 70 different chronic diseases if they're aggressive. I love that concept. By the way, I definitely speak to my kids. Like they have like these like good bugs in their body And I have to give huge credit to my daughter's um, dentist, like my son and my daughter's pediatric dentist a while ago did such a good job, but talking when looking at her teeth saying, you know, there are a lot of bugs in your teeth and sugar and lollipops causes these bad bugs of our teeth. And that's what cavities are. And I honestly never even understood cavities that way, that it's really like bad bacteria in your teeth. And to this day, when my daughter had like plenty of sugar, she goes to a birthday party, has lollipop or whatever. She's like, I got to brush out the bad buggies from my teeth. And it's so sweet. I know. I mean, you know, when we talk about our gut bacteria, that's kind of the area where there's been the most research, but we've got a skin, we call it a skin microbiota. That's just a sciencey word, which means the billions of, of microbes that live on our skin. We have an oral microbiota. Again, that's the millions of bacteria that live in our mouth 
and obviously there are the ones that cause the, the holes in our teeth, the cavities, but also there's ones that kind of prevent the cavities being formed. Uh, so totally. it's just a, such an incredible, uh, you know, scientific discovery in terms of these things are looking after us if we look after them. If we be, you know, be mean to them and neglect them, uh, then they can be hugely detrimental to our health and happiness. And I love the, the concept because so many people, especially women I speak to, not to generalize, but you know, they're so much better at caring out for others than they are themselves. And if you do look at your body as something you have to care for, like it's your own child, like it's your own pet, like maybe people would take better care of it. And I think that is actually the huge benefit of, you know, the quote unquote self-love body positivity movement. On one end, you know, you see people misinterpret it very negatively and are like eat burgers and fries and lots of high fructose corn syrup and all these sugars because you do what you want and you give your body what it wants and and that's your way of showing love but the bottom line is gotta kind of treat it like it's you know uh, another living being and connect it with with who you are because it can make a huge difference um god i wish don't you wish people understood this more i, I think it's so great that we're doing this um, so you keep saying like um, that what we eat and and what we do can really impact our gut health. How quickly can you see, like do a lot of these studies show really beneficial effects? Is it eight weeks? Is it two years? Yeah. So in terms of how our diet can affect um, our gut bacteria, they've done some really acute, so some very short term studies and have put people on from a very meat heavy diet to a complete plant-based diet and showing within, you know, three or so days, the microbes start to change, the bacteria oh gut start to change. Yeah. But in terms of, I guess, then the next level translation of when we can expect to feel, you know, mentally happier uh, and those other health benefits reduce things like bloating, all that sort of stuff. A lot of the studies have suggested for mental health, it's about 12 weeks, you know, of really nourishing our gut microbes. Which is so uh, short. It's amazing what people can do. If you focus for three months, like just think about what the date is today when you're listening it, whether it's like March 1st by, you know, April, May, by June 1st, it happens so fast. The fact that you could have just potential improvements in your overall sense of well-being and your happiness and your digestion and going to the bathroom regularly versus a bout of like constipation versus diarrhea. I mean, it's just like, it's wild. Once you understand this, not be motivated to stay consistent. Yeah. The thing is you don't need to, you know, make crazy changes to your diet and be super strict and cut out all of your favorite foods. And I think there is a lot of misconception around gut health. And what we actually see in terms of the science, it's more about what you're adding into your diet yes. rather than what you're taking out. So right. small changes. And one of like the key things I love uh, to set people as a goal is trying to get in at least 30 different types of plant-based foods per week, which can, you know, from the outset sound a little bit daunting, but it's simple things. Like instead of just having, you know, your broccoli, get your steamed stir fry mix and you get, you know, an extra three plant points there. Whatever you're having for breakfast, add a teaspoon of mixed seeds on, you get another three points there. So there's so many little switches that don't cost any more money or any more time that you can make to really nourish these gut bacteria. And it's those small changes that really start to add up and improve totally. you know, overall health. I love the concept of plant points. That's so cute. You know, I wish there were 
I'm, I'm like, I've just explored this amazing company where you can actually test your blood sugar levels in real time. Like as if you're a type one or type two diabetic and, and kind of strap you with a, a device. So you really see how certain foods that may be marketed as good for you, like, or have, you know, added fiber or maybe whatever else they're saying or whole food ingredients, but they can really spike your blood sugar. And then I'm always a fan of the scale. Cause I also find that like the scale is a nice, like somewhat objective tool that helps you see the, you know, the results of your efforts, but with gut health, it, it is, I mean, I see that it might be harder for one to be motivated to stay consistent with it because it might seem so disconnected from what you have access to. And it's hard to kind of gauge the results. What are, what are some things that people can expect to see when they improve their gut health following like the tips in your book, love your gut? Yeah. I mean, that is such a great point because we do often want to see the direct output of all our efforts. I totally get that. And the thing with gut health, it's really, it's annoying that there is no single measure of what good gut health is. And, you know, when I was writing the book, I was thinking, how can I help people understand, you know, how important gut health is and how, you know, what their scale of gut health is. So what I did is developed based on all the evidence, this gut health questionnaire, and it scales people's gut from zero to 20 um, based on 10 questions. So I asked people things like, um, are they getting gut symptoms? How stressed are they? Are they on medications? Are they in a you know, restrictive diet? How often are they getting sick? Uh, and all those sorts of key factors that we know really can impact our gut health. Um, so people can scale themselves or where their gut health stands, start to implement some of the strategies and then repeat that questionnaire to find out how their gut health has improved uh, based on those questions. So trying to give people more of that objective measure to see like, actually, yeah, my my hard efforts have started to pay off um, because yeah, we're, we're humans. We, we want to see, you know, tangible changes. Um, yeah. but like, instant, like I said, instant and tangible. That's what people like. Um, okay. I have, I, I'm oh God, you're so good. I'm sorry. I like, I didn't send you everyone to know. I didn't send Megan any of these questions in advance. She's just incredibly knowledgeable on the fly. So thank you so much for taking um, all my questions. Sorry, I'm just uh, overly antsy to get all these answered. I'm so curious. Okay. I kind of want to do like a rapid fire um, and get your opinion on certain things and how they affect gut health. I'm curious about alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol's effects on gut health, especially fermented yeah. alcohol, like beer. Yeah. So interestingly, there's kind of two different groups. So if you've got a sensitive gut, so something like IBS, which affects around 10% of us, so really quite common, alcohol can trigger some of your gut symptoms. Now, the reason why it can do that is that alcohol changes how your gut moves. And when we think about IBS, essentially the underlying mechanism of IBS is this dysfunction between the gut and the brain. So like we know, everyone's gut and brain is constantly communicating. With IBS, that communication is dysregulated. So anything which changes how your gut moves stimulates your symptoms and can trigger things like tummy pain, bloating, etc. So in people with sensitive guts, we know that alcohol can trigger those symptoms. Now, in everyone else, uh, we know that large amounts of alcohol can, in the short term, trigger what we call a leaky gut. So if we think about that nine-meter digestive tract, it's like this wall that only lets certain really important nutrients through to feed our body. 
But when we have too much alcohol, what happens is that wall becomes a little bit permeable, which means that things that shouldn't get into our body, so from our gut into our actual bloodstream, are able to get through. And that can have this low-level inflammatory response in our body, which can do not very good things, make us feel unwell, um, et cetera. So if we are binge drinking, certainly like I know I did uh, in my younger 20s, um, that has you know pr- negative consequences. But again, they are acute. So if you want to go out, you're having a you know hen's night or whatever, you know, have fun, but just think about the next day trying to nourish your gut. And the daily you know, habit of it. The daily habit of it can definitely uh, have consequences. It sounds like exactly. Um, but there is some evidence showing that things like red wine, having you know 120 mils four nights a week, actually may be beneficial for some good gut bacteria. And the reason for that is that red wine, obviously, like you said, it's fermented. It contains these things called polyphenols, and polyphenols is just like these beneficial plant chemicals now the amazing thing about polyphenols is that actually like fiber is that human cells can't digest most polyphenols so uh, they go through most of that nine meter digestive tract undigested but the bacteria then help digest those polyphenols and let them get into the body to have their health benefits and that's why things like you know dark chocolate the red wine, et cetera, have been linked with, with heart benefits. And that's because our bacteria help allow them to get into our body. So just another reason why we should nourish and look after our bacteria is that they, they really help us get the most out of our food, like, you know, those polyphenols. Yeah. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I have like a million questions. Okay. The next thing that we did discuss last time, um, and I, I really need you to reiterate it uh, just for our audience, because they're so common. It's amazing. In 2021, you still see them everywhere. Artificial sweeteners. Um, How are artificial sweeteners on the gut health? And is there a difference between sucralose or Splenda um, and aspartame or equal um, on gut health? Have we seen anything like that? Yeah. So I think what's so important around this whole world of food additives is there's like 400 of them. And historically, they've been all approved um, as what they call them grass, so generally regarded as safe. And that is really based on animal and human studies. And they've shown that actually these food additives aren't impacting human metabolism. But they completely neglected what these food additives are doing to our gut bacteria because we didn't really understand our gut bacteria back then. So actually, uh, the food regulatory bodies are now starting to reevaluate the safety of all of these approved additives on our gut bacteria because they're like, whoa, these bacteria are so important. Uh, you know, we need to see how this, these food components are actually affecting them. And my team at King's College in London, so I work there as a research fellow, are actually investigating certain types of food additives, specifically emulsifiers, um, because there's been animal studies to suggest that particularly in some genetically predisposed people, these emulsifiers, which are found in like 30% of our food supply. Xanthan gum and emulsifiers? Yeah. Carrageenan. Yeah, all of those sorts of ones. CMC, which is no found good. in so many of like the healthy plant-based foods that are really processed, which is a whole nother story. Wait, what was that? Um, CMC? Yeah, carbomuxyl cellulose, CMC. Okay, and what's going and these emulsifiers you're seeing uh, harmful effects on your gut health? So we're doing the first clinical trial. So we've started recruiting. We've got about 
20 patients recruited and these people have inflammatory bowel disease so they're more susceptible to okay. vulnerabilities um so you'll have to you'll have to wait until we find out uh in terms of that but based on the animal studies it does look like they potentially could have a negative effect and there's been a few little human pilot studies suggesting also in some people wow. so what I recommend is trying to limit them where you can. Now, coming back to the the other group of um, food additives, obviously like the artificial sweeteners, the jury is is somewhat still out. There's been some small studies where they've given some people things like um, the aspartame, the sucralose, et cetera, and they found that a subset of people actually had poor regulation of their blood sugar. So it did have a detrimental impact oh, on their yeah, blood sugar, despite not you know, having calories or sugar. Um, and the other half actually didn't have any detrimental um, effects on their metabolism. So the thing with them is um, we've seen test tube studies showing that some of them can have a negative impact on our gut bacteria, but we haven't done like the really robust human studies to know the detail of it. So my general advice is where you can try limit them. Um, and what's and your best advice to, for like um, a no calorie sweetener choice that doesn't spike your blood sugar? Yeah. So again, the evidence is there's only been a few kind of test tube studies, but I guess my personal opinion would be monk fruit or stevia are probably the better ones to have if Mine you are going too. to have it. Because they um, are plant-based if they're not, you know, if, they don't, if they're not overly processed with a lot of added ingredients, if you can find like pure monk fruit or stevia at the end of the day they are derived from a plant you can grow yeah i think one of the, the things we know about sweeteners though is that it can be quite addictive so to speak in that we start to then our taste buds adapt to that and then we start to crave more sweetness so you know what i certainly see in clinic and i'm sure you see it as well is that Sometimes we need to, even though if that's a natural sweetener, we just need to monitor how much, how reliant we are on them because over time it can really change um, our relationship with food. We can start to binge eat on sweet food because we we just crave that. Um, the good news is our taste buds regenerate every like 10 or so days. So slow, gradual reductions, we become more sweet sensitive. Definitely. Okay. I know I'm sensitive to your time. I want to wrap up with one question that I have, um, and it's totally related to the subject. And then I have to let you go. Um, even though I could literally pick your brain for an eternity, um, is erythritol. Um, I've been looking a little bit more into sugar alcohols and I heard erythritol is the one sugar alcohol that's actually non-digestible. So, um, apparently it's better for digestion and people don't have as much, um, gas floating and diarrhea as they do from the other sugar alcohols. Just curious if you saw that in your research. Yeah. So erythritol is an interesting one. So like you've said, it doesn't, a lot of it doesn't get digested high up our nine meter digestive tract. Um, but erythritol is still is a type of sugar alcohol. So people with sensitive tummies, like people with IBS, do seem to still get some symptoms with it because what happens with all of the sugar alcohols, if they're not very well absorbed in that small intestine, they get to the last 1.5 meters again where we've got all those bacteria and the bacteria ferment them, which is usually not a bad thing. But when bacteria ferment anything like fiber, they produce a little bit of gas. And if you've got that sensitive tummy, remember because of that gut brain dysfunction, the gas stretches your intestine which most of us don't feel, but if you've got things like IBS, you really do feel, and it really can exacerbate things like, you know, your bloating and your tummy pain. Um, 
So, you know, it is very much an individualized thing because actually erythritol, it depends on which bacteria you have in your gut to metabolize it. Uh, but I don't think it's kind of like a, a free sugar alcohol in terms of symptoms. I think it can certainly still produce symptoms in some people, but maybe some people are fine with it. Um, okay. It is very individualized. Okay. And okay. Last question. If you could take, you know, two supplements to improve your gut health, is there any supplement, you know, people should be taking? Yeah. So one of the key things that people ask all the time is about probiotics. And I think this is a really important one to cover because I think probiotics have been poorly misrepresented, so to speak, because some people are saying they're completely useless, don't even bother. Other people are saying everyone should be on a probiotic. Now, when we look at the actual evidence, if you're generally healthy, there is no need to take a probiotic. The best thing to do is get in that plant diversity, Your plant go plant. play in some clean dirt, eat some fermented foods. That's the best way. However, there is actually really good evidence for uh, pro specific probiotics in around seven different areas. Now, I talk about the probiotic prescriptions. So exactly what bacteria you need, what dose you should take it at, the duration, how to take it. Uh, in my book, it's um, Love Your yes. Gut. So if people want those specific ones, go there. But an example is, which I think is important to share because it, it highlights that probiotics need to be treated nearly like you know, vitamins and minerals, or even like medication. So if you have iron deficiency, you're not going to go and take a vitamin D supplement and expect your iron deficiency to improve. The same goes with probiotics. You need to be very specific because each different probiotic, each different type of bacteria, and actually some types of yeast as well, they do different things. So if you want a specific benefit, you need to make sure you're getting the right one for that specific benefit. So there's no point just taking anyone off the shelf. That is a waste of money. You need to be very kind of clinical and specific to get that health benefit. Yeah. And, um, and everyone just needs to get your book because you're, you outline which to take so beautifully. <clears throat> and again, those flow charts, like just kind of help answer all the questions because I'm sure everyone listening now has a trillion questions of their own that they have for you. So I mean, I, I know you have to go because you have like a whole teaching schedule and everything. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And, um, you know, you, you and what you're doing is, you know, hugely important to help educate people as well as like the power of food and, and that we don't just, you know, kind of have to live with the burden of a lot of, you know, inherited chronic diseases and things like that. We can actually change it. We just need to feel empowered with the right information so we can make our own decisions. So, and um, it's so funny because, I mean, obviously I've lost 100 pounds and I, and I have a weight loss program and my book focuses on weight loss. So, of course, I lead a lot with that. But, like, the bottom line is the reason I am wildly and insanely happier today eating, you know, veggies most and getting in my plant points and not, you know, as miserable and insecure and unhappy and all those things I was with low energy when I was heavier. It's like weight is literally just one piece of that puzzle. Like what I eat a hundred percent contributes into how I feel. And, you know, I think so many people wonder like, how do you stay motivated and all these things? And so I always tell people, one thing is I was, I was really miserable when I was unhealthy. Like I was, I was really miserable. So one thing that keeps motivated is not going back into that place. And I'm telling you, the more I read on the mental health and gut connection and the gut brain access, the more it just inspires me to mental health is just such a concern. I have mental health issues, like, you know, within the family and things like that. And 
I just hope everyone's listening to this is feels really encouraged that in a few days you can start seeing changes in a few months you can really start seeing changes because if weight or whatever isn't your mode of inspiration everything you've shared today should be and you know what we we certainly do see uh with gut health and our metabolism so if people start to nourish their gut health they don't necessarily need to fixate on calories you know they they tend to just naturally lose weight and find their healthy weight because they're nourishing their gut bacteria which helps regulate their different appetite hormones and stuff like that so oh God. i i have um, yeah i, 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 well, I Definitely would we have to do another one and talk about all the research we're seeing on obesity and gut health and obesity genes and things like that, because it's really, it is those cravings of sugar, like kind of the more of the sugar and artificial sweeteners and the artificial additives you eat, the more those bacteria scream and crave them, which just puts you into further and further of the cycle of making weight loss um, harder versus, you know, pushing through those couple of days to regenerate the taste buds and get yourself on this gut healthy diet. Yeah, I mean, it's more than just like having the willpower uh, when it comes to food. There's so, so many emotions and everything, and obviously the gut bacteria. And for those who are wondering, I'm not just really bloated, I am pregnant. People yeah. <laughs> are like, God, she needs to look after her own gut health. <laughs> I, just, I just picture that beautiful, like, uterus just filled with healthy microbes, like, hopefully just nourishing your baby, and I hope you just stay well. And you have incredible energy for pregnancy, and you have a glow. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> No, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Let's you. let's do another one about, about this uh, because it's so important when it comes to pregnancy and gut health, how we can influence our babies, not just their gut health, but their future health in terms of allergies and weight management, all that. Sort of Hold on. And also in, um, I learned when I was pregnant with my daughter, I learned that um, if you have a lot of probiotics and keep her well pregnant, I read one study that you might have a less cranky baby. And I was literally buying big bottle of keeper by the jug. I was like out of my mind. I was so interested. And the truth is she was a very peaceful baby. Hopefully that, <laughs> that worked. I know. I mean, they're, they're doing heaps of amazing stuff, but um, let's, let's touch on that another time. I'll speak to you soon. Feel good. Thank you again cool. for doing this.